0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you could learn more about spirituality and how it can work in your favor, would you be intrigued? Of course you would. It's time to get real. This is Get Real Radio with your host, James Robinson. In our show, we'll interview fascinating guests with the intent of bringing you closer to who you really want to be. Get ready for some of the most profound radio on any airwaves today. Now, here is James Robinson. Hello, everyone, and this is
1: Get Real Radio, and I'm James Robinson, your host. And today we have a very... Uh, important guest uh, on our show. Her her name is Audrey Pelicano and she is a grief expert. Uh, I would I don't know a better way to say that but she specializes in counseling people who have lost loved ones whether it's uh, you know human or animal and welcome to the show Audrey.
2: Thank you James so much for having me.
1: And I I was telling Audrey, that this is more than just an academic show for me because my future daughter-in-law just lost her mother and she's going through the death process. And, you know, the one thing that, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later, that, that our culture, our society does not handle very well and we don't know how to handle it very well is the loss of loved ones, whether they're older than us or they're younger than us. And uh, so, Audrey, it's, uh, it's great, uh, great timing to have you on the show. And uh, how did you get started? For the people that don't know who you are, how did, how did you get involved in grief counseling?
2: Well, my grief actually, my grief journey began many, many years ago. <clears throat> my husband and I um, were married. And six months after we married, and, of course, he was the love of my life, um, Joe was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He was a physician, a nurse, um, and we ultimately knew that um, it was a death sentence. And, you know, according to literature, um, a good progression of the disease would be eight years. And at that moment when Joe was diagnosed, all my hopes and dreams and his for us um, weren't there any longer. So there was a grief process that began then. Uh, Joe lived seven and a half years later. We um, had four children who are now wonderful adults. And I again went through a different kind of grief when Joe died. So my grief journey started many, many years ago. My Our baby, who was two and a half months when Joe died, is now 23. I began in very, very confused um, because I was 37. And I went to support groups. And all the other widowed women were as old as my mother. And not that they weren't supportive of my pain and my loss, but they really weren't able to support me as a young widow with four children um, under the age of six. And that's when I knew I needed to find resources for myself um, to survive, um, to move on, um, not knowing you don't just move on, um, you need to learn how to move forward. Uh, and I went out and actually one of the first things I tapped into was My Transcendental Meditation practice, which was something I learned when I was a college student, and that really began my journey of trying to find the resources that were going to support me um, spiritually, in addition to self-discovery. Who was I now? What was my journey moving forward going to be like? And it took me years to put together um, what I now consider fundamental tools and teach my clients um, to help them better move forward after the loss of their loved one.
1: So uh, have you had any formal training to deal with this or is this something that you've just experienced and are sharing with others?
2: I actually um, did the grief recovery method, which is from outside of, uh, in Anaheim, California, John Russell and, and John James and um, Russell Friedman had written a book many years ago called The Grief Recovery Method. And I, I'm kind of a methodical person, I guess, and I, I like systems um, that might be part of my nursing background. And um, I discovered... Uh, Russell and, and James's book about six years after Joe's death. And having read every book that was out there on widowhood, um, the best actual that was written was by Dr. Joyce brothers, who we, we most recently died. And um, she had a very you know, devastating loss, the love of her life. Um, but I found Russell and um, John's book, and it, it was a process. It actually spelt out what the process of grief was. Nobody ever explains that to us. We are never taught that. So we fumble. And people don't know how to support us. Um, so I found the Grief Recovery Handbook. It, it helped me tremendously, not end my grief. Grief is lifelong. It just, it shifts and changes. But it enables me to look at my grief as normal and natural and a process that I needed to go through in order to heal.
1: Well, you've written a book yourself, haven't you?
2: I've written, um, yes, Six Secrets to Surviving Widowhood. It's a handbook with some of the techniques that I teach my clients. Because of my background in nursing and my master's in health, health science and education, I come from an education Um, background and I work with my clients not only in the grief process but also in educating them in how, what tools they can build into their lives such as meditation, guided visualization, nutrition which is an area that's grossly neglected during the grief process. Our immune systems are extremely compromised and no one addresses that fact so we're really um, very, very vulnerable illness and disease. Um, So the tools that I learned are what I now teach um, the people that I work with who come to me after the loss of a loved one.
1: And where can someone buy this book?
2: Um, They can buy it online on my website, which is wisewidow.com. And it's also available on amazon.com.
1: Okay. Now with this book be appropriate for anybody that's lost a loved one?
2: This is specifically, well it could be, it is addressed specifically to the widowed population although I work with people who have lost parents, uh, people who have lost siblings um, it really was geared when I, when I wrote the book uh, The Six Secrets it was intended for the widowed population but can be applicable
1: so, so I've, what little experience I've had with the clinical side of grief counseling, uh, as I recall, there are a number of steps that people actually go through uh, when they experience trauma or loss or anything like that. Is that correct? Uh,
2: no. Okay. Actually, um, you know, Dr. Kubler-Ross wrote um, wrote a book many, many years ago. And it was about the stages of grief. Now, that was one of the first books as a nursing student that we read. And Dr. Kubler-Ross's book was... First of all, she was commissioned to write the book. And it was interviews of dying patients and the stages of grief that the dying patient goes through. Not the stages of grief... That the loved one who is surviving goes through. Grief is not linear. You don't go through stage one and stage two. And honestly, my experience um, when I first went after Joe died, um, I knew I needed some kind of support and help. And I did find a, um, a psychotherapist. And the one thing she was on target with was, you know, the stages of grief. And she truly believed in the stages of grief and kept telling me I was in the denial stage. And I kept arguing with her, saying, I'm not denying anything. Least of all my grief. When do I graduate to step two? So it was frustrating to me. If you look at it as step one, step two, step through five, it's like, well, when does it end? And there is no end. You bounce back and forth with your emotions. It is a roller coaster. One day you're angry. The next day you may be what they call, okay, this is where I'm at, acceptance. Um, But it doesn't run through stages. It really doesn't run through stages. And I don't think that that belief system is supportive um, of the person who is grieving the loss of a loved one.
1: uh, I'm glad you told me that because one of the things that everybody talks about uh, in a lot of different uh, consulting arenas whether it's addiction uh, counseling or divorce counseling or everything else, they, they're still stuck on this model of five stages of um, grief. grief. Yeah. Yes. You know, denial,
2: yeah, and actually whatever. Dr. Kubler, Dr. Kubler actually apologized um, in subsequent writing Not realizing that, and and really, when she came out with the stages of grief, what I think it did was it gave people something concrete. Oh, okay, this explains it. This is how you do it. There is no plan for grieving. None at all. And and people really went running with this whole five stages. And, And we're that kind of a society. You know, everything is based on numbers and stages. You go from A to B. You get a, you know, A, B, C, or D We we tend to do that, so this just fit great. I can go from stage one to stage five and be done with my grief. And she actually apologized, saying, "I never meant for it to be that way." And very few people realize that.
1: So, is there a is each person deal with their grief? on their own terms? I mean, is, is there a healthy way to deal with grief and then there's an unhealthy way to deal with grief where you kind of get stuck?
2: You know, with- unique is so, so individual. It is as unique as your fingerprints. And do people get stuck? They do. Um, and the people that I frequently work with have lost a loved one anywhere from 2 to 15 years ago and they've realized that they never really processed that loss. So it's not that there's a right and wrong way to grieve there isn't. It's understanding that grief is normal, normal and natural. And unfortunately just not supported by society in general, because nobody wants to go there, even though we're all going to experience it. Um, people don't know what to say when someone is grieving the loss of a loved one, and frequently what happens is that people shut down, stuff their grief, and move on in the ways that society expects them I think one of the most important things for a person who's lost a loved one is to be able to talk about that loved one. And we don't always provide that space. You know, people don't want to bring up the subject um, or the name of the person who has died. oh, I don't want to upset him or her. Let's not mention him or her. Well, That's exactly who the bereaved person wants to talk about, wants to remember. So I think there's a lot of education that really needs to be done society-wide on how we support this, because, as I said, each one of us is going to experience this at some time in our lives, multiple times.
1: Is is there any difference between losing someone through death and, say, losing someone through divorce or, you know, children who move away and, and don't call back every night. I mean, is, uh, is, is is it the same dynamic or is it there are different kinds of grief involved in, depending on the separation? Well, as I said,
2: unique is is. We don't even know the number of, of ways we grieve, and one of, one of the um, steps in the process of the grief recovery program, which I love so much, is that we actually go back um, to actually the days of our first rec- recollection of loss. Um, I, I'll use myself and as an example. When I did my um, grief recovery process, and my first loss, I was six years of age. And, um, my parents had bought me a canary. I lived in a Brooklyn apartment and we couldn't have cats and dogs. So I, I got a canary and I woke up one morning and there was a dead canary at the bottom of the, the cage. I was six, had never experienced death in, in any way before. Um, I was very fortunate to have my four grandparents at that time. And, you know, I was, didn't know what to do. You know, the bird was dead and of course I went to my parents and, um, The attitude, and this isn't blaming because this is what they learned, was it's just a bird, and the bird got thrown in the garbage. Now, I wasn't able to process, um, you know, bury the bird in a shoebox and go out in the back and, you know, dig a hole, no ceremony, and I I wondered, and I remember when my grandmother died um, many years later, and I didn't see people outwardly expressing the sadness and and the grief, Um, is this another canary? You know, so I learned that you didn't express grief. You know, you just put it aside, threw it in the garbage, and, and moved on with life. And I think that's many people's experience. So... When it comes to loss, whether it's through divorce, job loss, pet loss, empty nest, it's all grief. It's all grief. And that's not something we really address with people. When someone is sad because children, you know, go off to college um, and it's called empty nest, you're grieving. You're grieving great loss. You're grieving change. You're you're grieving a change in what was the norm. And people need to go through a process. So whether it is the death of a loved one or a divorce um, or a job loss, loss of money, loss of income, uh, loss of health. I work with a lot of people who um, have chronic illnesses and aren't able to live the lives they could five, ten years ago due to chronic Um, disability now. And I work through their grief process. So we really don't realize how we are all grievers multiple times in our lives.
1: We know that, you know, we've all heard stories that men process loss differently than women. Mm -hmm. But the The one thing that I've always been curious about, is that just cultural or is that actually a physical difference that they do it differently for some reason?
2: Men do process their grief differently. What's the reason? I think it's, you know, there are multiple reasons why men do. I think that there are expectations of men in our society so that in order for them to grieve, they have to find a very safe space to do that in. Um, It is also... um, We've all heard of the fight or flight, Um, you know, the response to when we're uh, in danger or threatened, Um, and actually there was research done, and where men tend to have fight or flight, women tend to mend and befriend, so women, um, support groups for women um, who are, whether they've lost a child or... Um, a spouse to death or divorce, they tend to gather together, right? They tend to befriend other people um, who are going through the same life experiences when men do not. Men isolate themselves. They do move on. And this isn't, you know, across the board. Um, there are certainly men who, have, um, who do belong to support groups, who do go away to um, retreats for those people who you know, have lost loved ones, um, but men absolutely process their grief very, very differently
1: okay well hold that thought we're going to have to take a break and let our sponsors have uh, a few minutes to do their thing and so we'll be back with our guest audrey pelicano and i'm james robinson the host of get real radio
0: And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show, Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety.
3: If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Monday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Carla Howell, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: are listening to Get Real Radio with James Robinson. We'd love to hear from you. Please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's toll free, 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mr. James Media at gmail.com. That's mr. James at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody,
1: to Get Real Radio. And I'm your host, James Robinson. And with me today is a very special guest, Audrey Pelicano, who is a expert in grief recovery. And we were chatting during the break, and one of the things I wanted to ask her about is that it's interesting. She brought up the, uh, the loss of her canary when she was very young. How do you help younger people? members of your family, and especially from your own experience of having children when your husband passed on, mm-hmm. uh, how do you help them with the loss of a loved one?
2: You know, I, w- I was actually interviewed after um, the tragedy in um, Connecticut about how to support children, other children, um, you know, during, during the loss. And I think what is critical is to allow children to express what they're feeling. Um, we oftentimes shut children down very quickly and a lot of children have grown up as I did not seeing what grief is after a loss. That it's normal and natural to cry, I think it's important for parents. To I mean within reason and of course age appropriate which is very very important um, the way a five year old responds to the death and how you can tell and talk about death with a five year old um, is tremendously different than the way you would talk to a ten year old or a fifteen year old so it needs to be age appropriate discussion but I think opening that field of communication that it's okay um, to talk about how it hurts, how it's sad, how you'll miss the person is really critical. Um, And of course, the most outward expression of a child who is not dealing with the grief um, is change in behavior. And I had that with my oldest son, who was six at the time of his dad's death. And I was aware enough to know that I didn't know how to help him. Um, And I did seek Uh, counselor specific um, to working with children who had, um, you know, a death of a parent. And um, whatever he did behind closed doors for my older two children, they would talk about, you know, the toy therapy, the play therapy that they did where they could openly express um, what their experience was. And we talked openly, you know, about dad's death and dad not being with us anymore and how we missed him. And we cried together frequently. Um, you know, especially in the early days after Joe's death Um, and still today. I mean, my children are grown and, you know, my husband will always be a part of, you know, my life. Um, And there are memories and I still cry and they get teary and it's okay. So I think allowing that and giving people the space, children particularly, to just openly express their feelings is a critical step in how they'll learn then how to process grief and loss throughout their life. Are
1: there any warning signs or or markers that people should be aware of that perhaps someone is not dealing with the loss in a healthy way?
2: I think one of the things we need to watch out for Um, for somebody who has lost a loved one and we don't know how to help is isolation. Um, It's very frequent um, that someone will isolate themselves, mainly because we don't embrace loss. Um, You know, and people have that assumption, and I was told six months after Joe died, aren't you over it yet? Well, no, I was just starting on this whole journey. I wasn't over anything. So people's expectations... Um, uh, of being able to get back to work and, you know, things just move on. And when they're not able to do that and they can't get themselves out of the house. um, And and I tell people and I have written um, a list uh, of things that you should do for people. And one of them is to, you know, offer that I'm going to come over we're going to go for coffee. And the person says, no, no, I'm not up to it ask the next day, ask the next day, ask the next day. You really need to be present because during that initial stage, and I, I say when the casseroles stop coming, you know, because the community is there in the beginning, and then two weeks, three weeks, a month, they're gone. Don't be gone. Be there for that person. Acknowledge that they're hurting by saying, I can't imagine how you feel, because you can't. Or remember a time um, that you particularly enjoyed with that person's spouse, child, parent. Um, Memories are very, very important. And talking about um, the person who has been lost. They may be lost physically, but relationships don't end, and I think we I need
1: know, to foster that. I know it's, it's, you know, more or less human nature, but a lot of times, people, even though they're they're wanting to help the person who is suffering, they try to uh, they come in and they start talking about what happened to them, is that helpful, or is that, should they be more concerned about, you know, helping the other person talk about their experience?
2: Well, again, it goes back to the fact that each one of us grieves very uniquely, and that I think one of the worst things that you can do is say, I understand how you feel, because that's not even possible. That's what, like saying you see the same color red as I do, which not happening. So it's really providing that open space. No, it doesn't help to compare. It doesn't help to say when I lost, you know, or when so-and-so died, this is what I experienced because honestly the person who is in such pain doesn't care. They just want to talk about how they feel. So it's opening that Communication, just by saying, you know, I can't imagine what it's like, because you can't. And if the person only says thank you, and says no more, then that's where they're at at that moment.
1: What would be a good, you know, when you're meeting someone who who has lost? A loved one is in and is grieving.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whatever, wherever they are, whatever the stage. You weren't going to say w-
2: stages, were you,
1: James? I had to bite my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> is there a some good conversation starters, for lack of a better word, that you know you can come up to somebody and, or I mean, it's just a hug and say. um is there anything I can do for you? I mean...
2: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. The hug alone is beautiful. And I think that, that sense of touch is key. We're not really a touchy-feely society. And um, and particularly with, with widowed women, um, that hug is very, very, very critical. So just, yes, wrapping your arms around it. You know, is there anything I can do? Now, most often... Um, the grieving person has no idea what they need. So I, I tell people, be specific. And if they have a dog, just say, you know, do you need me to walk the dog on Saturday mornings? Do you need me to pick up groceries for you on Tuesday? Be specific. But, yes, letting someone know with a hug. And then don't expect an answer because, as I said, they really don't know what they need, Make a concrete offer of something. If it happens to be a woman um, whose husband has died, who has small children, say, let me take the kids on Saturday for a couple of hours so you have some time. It's rather easy to find the words. Right. It's not easy. No. No. And as I, as I said to you, it, um no, I, I think it's it's just as so many things are. It's all about education, and I believe that we should talk start talking about grief and death in schools. Why it should, children are not immune.
1: Well, go ahead. Like, let me. Yeah, I get in. I want to get into what we need to do to educate ourselves on what to do but another thought that came to my mind was uh, bringing the people who are going through the grieving process uh, you know is it appropriate to have some sort of a meeting or get together where people can talk about the person that's gone a eulogy Um, of some kind a
2: eulogy did you say yeah
1: Yeah, just have people talk about their memories of the person and that sort of thing.
2: Those memories are so key, so very vital. Um, And as I said before, you know, the relationship, although the person may physically not be present, that relationship is forever. And you want to rekindle those memories. Remember the time when, oh my gosh, didn't we have the best time with Joe when such and such happened? Um, Very, very important. Um, as I said, the, the bereaved want to talk about their loved ones. They want to talk about, oh, how did you first meet? Those are treasured memories for many people. So, avoiding the use of the name of of our um, of the dead person is not appropriate. Um, you want to talk about him or her, definitely, and and laugh about the funny times. So I think it's very, very important. I think ceremony is very important. Um, and not, not I'm not talking so much about funerals and wakes because you know a grieving person is in a fog um, at that point in time, and most often people have no idea who attended the wake. Um, what do you remember? So and so talking to you? No, no recollection whatsoever. Um, it's as when time, as I said, when the casseroles stop coming, weeks, months out. Um, I mean, one of the first things I talked to, and it's. As I said, you know, 10, 15 years later, tell me, about your, tell me about your loved one. And it's like yesterday. I want to talk about it. So I think that's really key, James, definitely, to provide a safe space to, to share those memories.
1: Does it matter whether you talk about, uh, uh, you know, what's the politically correct way to ref- talk about death? I mean, you know, some people talk about the fact that they're they've passed on, or they've, um, you know, they they try to avoid the word word <laughs> die and death like it's a curse word. And sure. um, it is does it matter? I mean, there's always the reality part of it. Everybody knows that the person has died, but right. It's how do you refer to that in a loving way so that it doesn't trigger something with the person that's grieving?
2: Well, I don't think the word death is an un unloving way to approach it. It's it's factual. I believe people use the word or refer to passing on when there's a belief that there's some place or some existence that their loved one may have passed on to, and and that's getting into a whole other arena um, as to what what is next. Um, The word death, I think, scares people because it is final, whereas pass on is that there's another existence, and I think that goes along a lot with respecting what the other person's belief system is. So following their language can be very important.
1: That's a great point. Would it be appropriate to have parties, uh, like a birthday party for a deceased person f- to help people through the grief process?
2: You know, I think that again, you have to address the person who, you know, and it's not only one person. when. When a loved one dies, it's not just the immediate spouse um, that's impacted or parent um, or child of. Um, It really impacts many, many people. And I've actually interviewed um, on my radio show somebody who um, wrote a book about friends' grief that um, they felt they were totally not recognized um, when a best friend died because the focus was on the family. Um, and yet they had a loss, too. So I think, again, it's it's respect and, and saying, hey, you know, I have this idea. You know, I know, you know, Mary's birthday is coming up. How do you feel if we got together and celebrated the memories we have of Mary?
1: Excellent. Excellent point. Uh, so it's, you know, the thing is, is that it's, It's a community issue, as I understand what you're saying.
2: It it really is. And um, I think that many people uh, don't realize how the death of someone impacts so many people. It impacts coworkers in the workplace. Um, If you have a coworker um, who dies, everyone in the organization is impacted. When um, an, an employee's spouse dies their response in the workplace impacts the other employees. It, it, it just affects so many people around us. And um, most oftentimes we don't recognize that, again, because we don't talk about grief and loss in any way. This is a society that learns how to get, how to achieve, and how to accumulate. We don't know how to lose.
1: Oh, wow. That's a great point. Okay, well, we're going to have to take another break here, and I wanted discuss with you uh, after we come back what we can do to change our society's views on death to help people through this process so this is uh james robinson your host for Gut real radio and our guest is audrey pelicano and we will be back after this break
3: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com.
0: Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones: Myth, Reality and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph schuldenrein A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
3: Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves.
0: are listening to Get Real Radio with James Robinson. We'd love to hear from you. Please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's toll free, 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mr. at gmail.com. That's mr. James at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Get Real Radio,
1: everyone. I'm your host, James Robinson, and my guest, again, is Audrey Pelicano, who is a grief recovery specialist. And uh, I do want to mention that she is having a a recovery uh, workshop in the near future. And, Audrey, could you tell the people about that?
2: Yes, thank you. Um, It's not me who is having it, actually. Um, I've been asked to present at what I think is going to be a transformational weekend um, in Boone, North Carolina, at the Art of Living Retreat Center. And it's entitled Widow's Peak. And what I love about the weekend is that it's bringing together the the modalities and the healing that took me years um, to discover and to implement in my own life. Um, to raise my healing energy. And, um, aside from myself, um, there's going to be a woman, Lorna Bell, who, um, is a hospice nurse. She also wrote a book, Yoga for the Grieving Heart. Um, and she is going to be speaking, Cap- Carol Shibeli, um, who's also a widow and actually a comedy writer and a dear friend of mine. Um, and brings a little bit of humor to that, in addition to Ann Farrow on Love is Not Just an Emotion, and Debbie Ellison, who is actually a laughing yoga um, instructor. It is going to be, first of all, the the area is absolutely breathtakingly um, magnificent and a powerful, powerful retreat in the weekend. And also joining us is going to be Beth Nielsen Chapman. and, And oddly as it was, Beth Nielsen Chapman had come out with a song and a CD um, around the time when Joe died back in 1990, and I played it over and over again at that time, and it's so hard for me to believe that Beth um, is going to be joining us there, and Beth is also a widowed woman. So I encourage anyone um, to visit widowsspeakretreat.org to get more information about this transformative weekend, um, of Upliftment and Renewal,
1: June 6th, 7th, and 8th in Boone, North Carolina. Well, I'm sure that's a great opportunity for people who are uh, suffering the loss of someone and also mm-hmm. probably for people who um, may be interested in helping others. Yes. Let me, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I see these days, and and unfortunately it's becoming pretty prevalent is that whenever there's an, a tragic public event and I, I'm thinking specifically about the tragedies in schools or some kind of terrorist thing the first people on the scene seem to be the therapists mm-hmm. to help to help the people with the trauma of the loss mm-hmm. and all you know that is certainly very conscious and very supportive, but the thing I'm always wondering is, well, why don't we do that at the front end? Why are we not teaching people, you know, about death and, you know, helping people understand that, that, uh, how to deal with it before it happens?
2: Well, I, you know, it's, there's actually a social movement presently going on and it's kind of silent. Um, but it's happening globally. And it's something called death Cafe. And that's D-E-A-T-H, Deaf Cafe. And it's actually providing a social environment where the subject is deaf. It was started um, by actually a um, Swiss sociologist who had a cafe mortel or Deaf Cafe uh, back in the late, 1990s, because he felt the Parisians didn't speak or address death. And um, a young Buddhist, John Underwood in London, had read his paper and decided this was something that needs to be spoken about, because Buddhists speak of impermanence all the time. And so John started this death cafe. I think there have been over 500 death cafes held globally now. Um, I actually am the host. Um, with a co-host here in New York City, and we have had up to seventy-five people gather together, and we talk about the subject of death, because we really believe that it needs to be a conversation, not avoided. So I think we have to get out of that taboo. Just like, you know, back in the 60s when sex was taboo, you never talked about sex. Well, now that's all you talk about and see on TV. (laughs) And so I said I was here for the sexual revolution. I'm here for the death revolution. And we're going to talk about death. We're going to raise the awareness around the the, the fact that death occurs and that we're all going to experience grief and loss in this lifetime. So I think it's, it's starting. It's beginning. Um, and I think until adults become comfortable with the subject, we're not going to be able to open this up um, to children. And I think that's where we have to start. We brought sex education into the schools. We need to bring deaf education into the schools.
1: So what would you have as a curriculum?
2: <laughs> what would I have? First of all, I would open it up to ask children, what, what does death mean to them? Children are the most honest human beings. And, you know, it, it's been said, the cliche, out of the mouths of babes. And I think we have a lot to learn from children. And I think opening the conversation by asking them, what, what is death? Wouldn't it be interesting to ask a five-year-old what death is? I mean, there's video games. You shoot someone, they die, and then they get back up again, and you're shooting them again. So what is a child's idea of what death is? So I think that's where we need, we need to start. And I think asking questions um, is always the best way um, to start any curriculum because, again, you want to be coming from a place of where your audience is at.
1: I guess one of the things that, you know, I I would love to have a show devoted to what are the problems with society's views of death. And I guess one of the first ones that would be on the top of the list would be the fact that we somehow disassociate with death. In other words, you mentioned the video games where kids are sitting there blowing people up and it's not real, right and, you know and then somehow they think that that's appropriate behavior so they walk into their school and mm-hmm. do the same thing and it and then it gets real yeah and, and so it's like what do you see as the problems that we as a society have with our perception of death
2: well, first, I you know, you mentioned "Get Real," and when I heard your program "Get Real," that's actually something I would say to people: it's "Like Get Real, we're all going to die. Get Real, you're going to experience grief and loss." Um, I think, again, this is you know the, a lot of opinion here. I don't have anything to back this up. I don't have written papers, um, but my own experience in in, a, in doing a Buddhist meditation, where we were meditating on our non-existence in this world, in this earth as we know it. And the biggest challenge, and for myself, was my ego. What do you mean the world without me? So I think the ego has an awful big part in our non-acceptance of death. We can't imagine a world without us. And yet when you come to that realization and say, I'm going to die, that is reality, I am mortal, I think what it does, it allows us to really focus on how to live our best life. And I don't think people realize that. I think that that fear of talking about death, as if it's going to happen, if I talk about it, it might happen.
1: Right. Yeah. You
2: know, it's like, well, if you talk about it, maybe you'll live your life a little bit differently. You know, I don't believe in a bucket list. I don't want to knock things off a bucket list. And for a lot of people, that's very, very appropriate. Um, but I want to, I hope that every day I'm, I'm looking to do something, you know, to say, wow, that even if it's, you know, helping a homeless person on the street, You know, you don't leave a restaurant with leftovers to take them home. You leave a restaurant with leftovers and hand it to the first person who might not have a meal for the next or hasn't had a meal in three days. So looking at death and looking at, you know, at that eventuality really gives you pause to say, boy, I, I better make the best of each and every moment that I have. So we can get our ego out of the way. I think we can become a little bit more comfortable with the fact that there is no such thing as forever. Not in this form. Not in this form. Don't know what form is next. And I think that's a very interesting thing because when people talk about life after death, we use that word life again. And we don't know what life is. It's not going to be this. And, and it's honestly, when, when you're with a group of people and you talk about that whole um, concept of death, and I'm not talking about it from a philosophical, super intellectual perspective. I'm talking about reality of, you know, I'm going to die, and this is the way I would prefer to go. <laughs> this is how I would like to die, um, and I think that that, I think we're talking about it more and more. Um, we now have death doulas. Um, they are volunteers. Who actually help not only the dying patient but the family, so that there's that whole ritual. Um, and actually, they will set up the room. You know, do you want music playing as you're approaching death? Do you want bright sunlight? Do you want a dark room? Do you, do you want a fragrance? Is is there a um, a fragrance that you like? Is there incense you'd like to burn? It's happening. It is happening, James. I hear it every single day. And I think the hospice movement has been um, a huge part of that, that we're recognizing that family and and dying people need um, a presence at the end of life. That's happening. We just need to raise raise the noise a little bit louder. Okay.
1: Well, we've got about one minute left, and so if somebody wanted to uh, call and get an appointment with you or set up an appointment, how would they do that?
2: They can go to my website, which is wisewidow.com. They can email me, Audrey, A-U-D-R-E-Y, at wisewidow.com, or they can call 914-703-2688. Um, And I, again, invite them to visit widowspeakretreat.org, a transformative weekend in Boone, North Carolina. Thank you, James, so much um, for having me on the show. Is there anything else I could answer for you?
1: Well, if there's, uh, in two seconds or less, if there was somebody that was grieving, what would you tell them? Just right off the top of your head.
2: I would put my arms around them.
1: Just give him a hug. Great advice. Thank you so much. This is uh, Audrey Pelicano. She's a grief recovery specialist. And if you have any more questions or want to contact her, you can get that through her website, uh, wisewidow.com. So thank you. This is uh, Get Real Radio with your host, James Robinson. And we will be talking to you next week.